This anointed teaching by Apostle Theo Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. All right, well, let's uh, pray. We're going to have a great service right now, a great message. You're going to love this. It's a life-changing message. Father, I thank you for anointing upon my mind as I grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from my heart within. Thank you for a supernatural recall of the Scripture. And I believe that your word will flow from my mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance or anything, carried by your anointing, your power, and your love to each person's mind and the sound of my voice, bringing understanding, removing confusion, that your word will enter every heart, bringing faith, dispelling every fear. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory for all that's revealed and accomplished through your word and by your spirit here today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, give somebody a high five and you may be seated. A sound engineers, if possible, a little more monitor or a little sound volume in the house. Just lift my volume if you can. All right, now, I started this message on Sunday morning, part one, Monday night, part two, Wednesday night, part three. Tonight's the final part, part four. And um, tonight is the best part of the whole series. Uh, by God's grace, we are well able to take back what the devil has stolen. Now, grace is not permission to sin. As some people have tried to do, uh, tried to teach recently, is that grace allows us to live like the devil and still make it. It doesn't. Honestly, I'm telling you right now, if you live like the devil, you're not going to heaven. We need to understand that, okay? Some people think you can do whatever you want to. You don't have to ask God to forgive you. Never. And you're still going to make it. That's what they teach. Well, they should have told the devil that. Because he doesn't know that doctrine. Because I've seen when they mess up, the devil comes right in. If a devil can enter people when they mess up, like we saw tonight, how come he does that if there's no consequences to sin? Hello? God wants us to live holy. He tells you to be holy, and you are holy to a certain degree. You are holy to a certain degree. Um, I don't want to go into the difference between righteousness and holiness. I already did that in part three. But God wants us to live holy, and He requires it. We all know that. That's not a problem. The thing is, how do you live holy? Do you live holy by trying to live holy, or do you live holy by trusting God to keep you from doing wrong? Do you live holy by faith in God's ability, or do you live holy by your ability? Because if we will be holy by our ability, by willpower, determination, we're not going to make it. We're not going to live holy. We can only live holy by faith. Jesus said, without me, you could do nothing, right? Nothing means what? Why? Right. And Paul said, I do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. So most people understand this. You've got to be saved by grace. You can't save yourself. Do we all understand that? Now, once we get saved, why do we now say, okay, God, I'll take it from here. I'm going to grow by my own ability. I'm going to serve you with my own strength. I'm going to be cool. If I need your help, I'll let you know. That's not how we do it. We are saved by grace, and we live for God by grace. There's no other way. Paul said, all that I am, I am by the grace of God. All that I am, I am by the grace of God. He said, I labored more than all the other apostles combined, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me or enabled me. So we see the grace of God empowers us to live right. So I say this, by the grace of God, I can live a godly life. No other way. Okay. Ephesians chapter 2, please, in verse 8, our first scripture. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. You see, it's by grace which comes by faith. It's by grace, but you can't have the grace unless you believe 
God's merciful. See, the grace of God gave Calvary. And because we believe in the work of Calvary and the grace of God, we receive salvation. So it's by faith, it's by grace through faith that, that uh, not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works as anyone should boast. So say this please, it's, not by, it's by grace, which comes through faith in God's grace, that we stand. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So say that, I have access by faith into God's grace, which enables me to stand. So say, I live godly, I live holy, I stand firm in Christ by God's grace because I believe God is merciful and He will keep me. Say this, faith is the doorway into God's grace. If we don't believe He is merciful, we can't receive His mercy. If I don't believe He's merciful, I can't receive His mercy. It's not going to work. Without faith, it's impossible to receive anything from God. James 1.5. So it's by faith in grace that we take possession. It's by faith in grace that we take possession. We're talking about taking back what Satan has stolen. When we understand God's merciful, then we have confidence to use the authority that we have, the faith that we have, and claim the will of God be done. Let's take back what the devil has stolen by faith in God's mercy and grace. Tonight we're going to look at a historical event recorded in the Old Testament that will help us understand the subject. Now this is something we all know, but it's important to look at it again. God gave the promised land of Canaan to the children of Israel, and then he said, rise up and take possession of it. So God gave them the land, then he said, I want you to go and take it. Genesis 15, verse 18. Let's go there. If you have a Bible, I recommend you look in your Bible. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to, you, to, to your descendants I have given this land. To your descendants I have given this land. Now that word descendants there is the Hebrew word zera, which is seed in English. Seed, singular, in English. All right. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your seed, singular, I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, I'll show you a map on that in a minute. But let's go before I show you the map to Galatians 3, verse 16. Galatians 3, verse 16. Paul writes this about what we just read. He said, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, single. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Okay, so say this, the land of Israel was given to Abraham and Christ. That's what Paul explained. Now that's why Genesis which you just read now, um, 15 verse 18, says exactly that. So now let's look at this map, because it told us, the scripture said, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. All right, can we have the map up on the screen? There it is. So I highlighted in yellow for you the great river of Egypt, which is the river Nile, we all know that all the way to the river Euphrates at the top. You see that? So everything in between that was given to Abraham and Christ. Can we see that, family? So the people of Israel don't occupy 10% of the land that is legally theirs. Can we see that? So all that land, Jordan, Egypt, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, it all is owned by Abraham and Christ. 
all that land. That's what God said. I'm not saying that. I didn't say that. God said it, right? We all read it. Raise your hand if you read it with me. That's interesting. Genesis 17, verse 8. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants. That's not descendants. It's seed. It's the same Hebrew word. After you, and I will be their God. When Christ comes back to the earth to reign for a thousand years, all of that land will be under his control. That's where he'll rule from. That a whole area will be under his control. When the children of Israel arrived at the promised land, Moses sent in 12 spies. Ten spies said, there are giants in the land, we cannot conquer it. Now listen to the words of Caleb. Numbers 13, 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take position, for we are well able to overcome it. Now even though God has given them this land, they still had to go up and take position. Caleb spoke the words of faith. All they needed to do now was for them to act on Caleb's word and take the land. But they never did. Whatever God gives us, we still have to rise up and take possession of it. Whatever promises we see in the Bible, we have to take possession of it, family. The spies that went with Joshua and Caleb said, we can't take possession. Numbers 13, 31. But the men who had gone up with Joshua and Caleb said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They are giants in the land. Now we all know very well what happened to those people. They said things like, the ten doubters said things like, We can't take this land. The Anakim giants are there. They were about 12 feet tall. And we looked like grasshoppers in their sight because they knew what the grass, what the giants were thinking, you see. So we looked like grasshoppers in their sight. And then they stirred up the three million, and the three million folks got full of fear, paranoid. They left Egypt, come all the way here, and now they're going to die. They can't go into the land. So they started freaking out, saying things like, let's go back in the desert and die there rather than try and fight these giants. Or let's go back to Egypt. That's what they were saying. Three million, throwing dust in the air, rolling in the sand, going totally hysterical, uncontrollable. How's Moses, Joshua, Caleb going to manage that crazy outfit? So God says this, Numbers 14, 28. As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. As you say, whatever you say, you're going to have. The ten spies and the three million people said, we can't. We're going to die in the desert. And they actually did. They all went to the desert. They wandered around the desert for 40 years, following the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and that's where they all died. Their children came, rose up, and they came with Joshua and Caleb and conquered the land 40 years later. So Joshua and Caleb had the faith to conquer the land, but they couldn't go on their own. There's sometimes when your faith has to wait for the circumstances that are right before you can have what you're claiming, and you have to stand and wait and trust God. So Joshua and Caleb had to wait for the time to come for them to take the land, and they had to hold their faith all that time, all that time. And then now, now Caleb's getting older and older, and he's 85 years old. And then when they go into land, he says to um, Joshua, give me this mountain. He says, are you able? He says, yes, I'm 85. I'm just as strong and swift as I was when I was 45. I'll go right in there and take it. And he gave it to him. As you know, Pastor told us about that in her message. So they conquered the land 40 years later. Now, Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 11, please, and verse 8. Before I move on, let me just say this. 
Josh and Caleb said we can conquer the land. The 10 spies said we can't. Who was right? Both were right. Both were right. So this, I have what I say. Today. Say this, God cannot do more for me than my words of faith allow him to do. I wish we could understand the importance of that, dear family of God. I wish we could understand that. Now, 40 years have gone by, and Moses giving the nation of Israel a prep talk before they go into conquer the land. You got it? So Moses gets them together, and he says, now, listen, folks, carefully now, we're going to go and fight here. Deuteronomy 8, 18, therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong the days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and their descendants or their seed, and a land flowing with milk and honey. So once again, we see God's telling Israel, go in and possess what I've given you. That's exactly what he told their parents 40 years before. He's giving them the same instruction 40 years later. These are their children. And Deuteronomy 11 verse 18 says, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as, a frontlets, as frontlets between your eyes. It's like a band that you put over your head to remind you. You shall teach them to your children, speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, speak the word. Speak the word. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He's serious about speaking the word, right? That your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. Like the days of the heavens above the earth. What's God saying? It's God's plan for the children of Israel to experience heavenly living in Israel, in that land. It was God's desire that they go in there and have heavenly living in the land of Canaan. This, this year, the beginning of the year, somewhere around February, I had a dream. I shared this with the church here on Sunday, I think, or the Sunday before. I had a dream that I was... Um, walking through a neighborhood, and the street's the most beautiful street. I didn't see anybody, and the street was so manicured, beautifully manicured, and the houses were decent-sized houses, and you measure it in meters, right? So probably 400-meter, square-meter houses, 450-square-meter houses. Does that sound like a decent-sized house? 4,500 square feet. And, um, sorry, is that too big? Is that a big house? Sorry? Not too big. Decent size. Okay. So that's what they looked like. But so I walked into these apartments and houses. I walked in through them. Now, one, I didn't see anybody anyway. The houses were open. There was nobody in them. And the furniture was just beautifully arranged, paintings on the wall, plants inside, beautiful carpets, some tiles. And every house I went to had a different theme of furniture and look and feel. Every house, different. But everyone was immaculate and beautiful. And I could see it's classy. It was well taken care of. It wasn't cheap and it wasn't outrageously expensive. It wasn't gold taps and diamond studded anything. It was just beautiful. It looked 
Nice, very nice. I'm sure it cost a bit of money. And uh, so I kept walking. And then I went into apartments and I went into these passages. And everything's open. All the doors are open. I could see beautiful passages, wide, apartments on both sides. And everyone I looked into had a different theme. Now this seemed to carry on and on and on. Across the street, the same thing. I just saw house after house after house. And every house I went into, it had a different theme, as I said. Every apartment, different theme. But beautiful. Looked nice and expensive. Quality. And I was amazed. I, I was amazed thinking, how is it possible that there are so many different themes and look and feels available in this neighborhood? And then I woke up and I realized that it had to be God. Because there's no way that creativity like that could work in my, in my own life, my dream. And I said, what are you saying to me, Lord? And straight away I knew God is saying, I want to bless my children, but they won't trust me for the best. They won't trust me for the best. God wants to give us heavenly living on the earth. That's what Jesus told us to pray for. Our Father, would art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. See, God wants us to have heavenly living on earth. In Philippians 4, verse 13, or 19, 19, he said, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, we're not limited to earth's economy, child of God. Heavenly Father wants to provide for us. He wants to take care of us. Do you understand that? Say this, God loves us. And he wants to provide for us. He wants us to dare to believe him. Amen. He wants us to dare to believe him. Now we know that the experience of the children of Israel taking the promised land is a type and a shadow of us taking our possessions of what God has promised us in the new covenant. Now somebody said the promised land of Canaan is a type of heaven. It couldn't be because there's no, no giants in heaven. It has to be a type of us taking possession of the new covenant blessing purchased at Calvary by the blood of Jesus. It has to be that. We are to take possession of the promises of God which are made and purchased for us at Calvary with our faith. For us to enjoy the full blessings of God in this life, we have to take possession by faith through grace. In other words, God has already given it all to us by grace at the cross, and we have to accept that by faith. So that God has given me everything pertaining to life and godliness at the cross. And I have to accept that by faith. So this, the cross was the grace, and I accept it by faith. You see, even prosperity is the grace of God on your life. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, We know the grace of God, that though he was rich, he became poor on the cross, that we might become rich. That says we know the grace of God, that he took our poverty on the cross to give us prosperity. So say this, by grace, by grace. I can prosper. God has provided for me prosperity, and I can accept that because of God's mercy and God's grace, it's already mine. It's already mine. Do you understand that, child of God? We don't have to live below our means. But we must rise up and declare it with our mouths until we enjoy the days of heaven on earth. There's no other way to do it. If you don't say it, you won't get it, child of God. 
Everything God gives us in this life comes to us the same way. Everything comes the same way. So there's the principle of faith, works the same in every realm, in every dimension. We receive salvation the same way. That's how you get saved. It's a gift from God. However, we still have to boldly take possession of our salvation with our words. If you want to be saved, you have to take it by words. Second Corinthians, sorry, Romans 10.9. Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you say it with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised it from the dead. You'll be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. So when we boldly declare to others that we believe in Jesus, he is our Lord and Savior, only then does the life of God enter our spirit and recreate it. So now we can say it's by grace through faith that we are saved. So that I believe in Jesus. He is my Lord and Savior. And because I said it, the life of God is in me. I'm saved by saying what I believe with my mouth and my heart. Saying what I believe in my heart. Okay, so you see, folks, we can't even be saved without saying with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. We have to confess for salvation, and we have to confess for everything we receive in life the same way. Once we know what God's will is, start saying it. Once you know what God's plan for your life, start saying it. Talk about it. Don't keep it a secret. Talk about it. Don't feel shy and embarrassed. The devil will tell you, don't talk about it. You talk about it. Talk about it. Tell everybody what God's going to do in your life. Tell them what He's going to do. You'll rise to the top, family. We can see the grace of God in giving us the opportunity through Christ at Calvary. Our faith in God's love and grace gives us the boldness to confess it is ours and take possession. Say that with me, please. Our faith in God's love and grace, God being merciful, all loving, because I believe it, that gives me the boldness to confess what I desire and take possession of it. So when Joshua took over from Moses, God told Joshua to be strong and of good courage. Amen? We need to hear that today. Joshua 1, verse 6. God told him four times, be strong and of good courage. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you, Joshua, be strong and of good courage? Deuteronomy 31, verse 23. Be strong, Joshua, and of good courage. And you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be there with you. Amen? So you see, God told him to be strong and good courage. Now, when King David was an old man and about to die, he handed over the kingdom to his son Solomon, and David understood what was required to be a king. Having been such a successful king, he knew what was required. And he gave Solomon a very carefully thought out statement of words to help him and he said this in his dying moments, 1 Chronicles 22, 13. Solomon, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Say so this, God wants me to be strong and of good courage. And I must boldly declare what God wants and bring God's plan into operation on his behalf. Amen. I must confess God's will on the earth. God's plan on the earth. God's blessings. 
God told us the same thing. Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. Come boldly to the throne of grace, that you might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly. Say this. I'm told to come boldly to get grace and mercy when I need it. Amen? Hebrews 13, 5. For God himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me. So this, I can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Why? Because of his grace. Praise his holy name. Proverbs 28 verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. Those who fear the Lord don't fear anything else. And those who don't fear the Lord fear everything else. Revelation 21, 6. And Jesus said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who, this is Revelation 21, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. God wants you to overcome and inherit all things. So I'm an overcomer. God's grace has provided everything I need to succeed. And I declare, I am an overcomer. Nothing will stop me. And nothing can stop God's Word from working for me. Nothing. Nothing can stop God's Word from working for you. Come on, nothing. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But, but, the cowardly, cowardly, cowards, unbelieving, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, not some, all, shall have their part lake which burns with fire brimstone, which is the second death. So can you see all cowards are in that group of terrible people? Say this, I'm not a coward. I'm bold as a lion. God is on my side. He's a merciful God. He fights my battles for me. Hallelujah. Now, I never asked for this, but could I ask the sound people, whoever does this, to put on Ephesians 2, verse 6 and 7 on the, from the New King James. I don't know if you can do that for me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Could I borrow a Bible, New King James Bible? Dr. Johnny? Thank you. So let's see. Oh, you got it. Good job. <laughs> wow, look how fast that is. Ephesians 2, uh, Verse 6 first. Ephesians 2, verse 6. Okay. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So this, I am raised with Christ. I am sitting in Christ at the right hand of God on His throne. Again, I am seated in Christ on the right hand of the Father, right now. See, that's positional truth. That's your legal status. Okay? Natural truth is we're sitting here. But your positional truth is what God said, and that's always a higher truth. 
God's truth is a higher truth than natural truth. Because circumstances have known to change. But God's word will never change. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never change, he said, right? So, circumstances can change. God's word can't. So say this, God's word is a higher truth than natural circumstances and natural truth. So it said then, uh, he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. You see, Christ sat down at the right hand of God, implying that his work was successful and accomplished. Otherwise, he'd have been standing, I guess. But he sat down to let us know he's conquered, he's victorious. He did it on our behalf, right? Now, we are seated in Christ, right? And he is seated far above all principality and power, all name, all dominion in this world and the next. And you are in Christ. You are in Christ. Therefore, you are seated above all power, all authority, all dominion. Ephesians 5.30. You are the body of Christ. You are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. 1 Corinthians 12.27. You are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.17. You are one spirit with the Lord. One spirit with the Lord. We are all one in Christ. We are the body. He is the head. He is the head. We are the body. He only has one body. That's the church. And he has to work through this body. He's limited himself to working through this body. Ephesians 1, 22. Christ is the head and be given as the head to the church, which is his body, verse 23, of one man. So there's no racism in the body of Christ because there's only one person. There's no male nor female, no Jew or Greek. We're all one in Christ. So there's one person. Amen. We are one in Christ. He's the head, we're the body. We need him just as much as he needs us. If Christ was going to operate without us, he would have solved the world's problems by now. But he can't. He is limited to us. So we have to learn, child of God, to believe and trust in him and allow him to work through us like a glove on his hand. Like a glove on his hand. Say this, I'm a glove on his hand. Say this, I can't take pride for anything God does in my life any more than the paintbrush can take honor for the painting. The paintbrush can't take honor for the painting, and nor can you take honor for what God does in your life. It's through faith in grace. And Paul said, I am all that I am by the what? Grace of God. Amen? So there's no pride in that. It can't be. We trust him, and he does it. So, now look at the next verse. I said all that, but I want you to see Ephesians 6, uh, 2, verse 7. Ephesians 2, verse 7. Now watch this. He put us there at the right hand of God in Christ. Why? Why? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in, Christ, in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, let's chew on that. In eternity, God's going to brag about all the good things He's done for you to show everybody how gracious He is. So we can see that God's grace and mercy is going to prosper us, make us successful, and put us right there at the right hand of God in Christ. And in, for, in eternity, He's going to point to you and me and say, Look what I've done for this person. This is how merciful I am. This is how gracious I am. I'm a kind God. Are you catching on, church? He's going to brag about what he's done for you in all eternity. So give God something to brag about. Start believing God. Start trusting God. Start depending on his grace. 
Give God something to talk about in eternity for what He's done for you. Let Him get the glory in your life. Use your faith. Dare to believe God. Don't limit God. Don't look at your circumstances and let that affect you. I've shared this with you before, but if you have an air conditioner, you change the temperature in the room from 30 degrees to 22 degrees or 90 degrees Fahrenheit to 70 degrees Fahrenheit by punching the number in the thermostat that you want. And then the air conditioning changes, the temperature changes, and lines up with that number. Right? Now I say this. Circumstances will line up with whatever I say about them. Now, you see, Romans 4.17, Romans 4.17 says, God calls those things that be not as though they are. So you talk to the circumstance like you want it to be, not like it presents itself to you. But when a problem comes, don't talk about what's happening. Talk about what you want it to be. So I don't care what this is. I declare the following. Bang. Use your shield of faith and quench every fiery dart of the devil. Ephesians 6, 18. The weapons of our warfare are mighty in God. And we have the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6. We can step into the battle, stop the devil's attack with the shield. Use the sword of the Spirit. Don't lay down. Pick up your sword. Pick up your shield. You are a mighty warrior. You're wearing God's armor. When the devil looks at you, he doesn't know if it's Jesus coming down the road or you coming down the road. Because you're wearing God's armor. So this, I must claim the promises of God. I must take possession by faith because His grace has provided it. Whenever the children of Israel got into fear or got discouraged, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They were willing to become slaves, go back into bondage. Can you believe that? When they saw the giants, they were willing to go back into slavery. Now God wanted them to move forward, to be bold and courageous, to go in and take possession of what He has given them, the land of milk and honey. It's easy, family, to look back at them thousands of years later and criticize. It's easy. However, unfortunately, some Christians are doing exactly what the children of Israel did back then. Because they're not bold, they lie down, let the devil walk all over them and keep quiet. Keep their mouth closed. We have to remain bold and courageous. If we don't press in and claim the promises of God, which He has given us by grace, we will not succeed. It's very easy to backslide, child of God. It's very easy to backslide. I've seen pastors backslide. They preach in the pulpit, but they backslid. I've seen it. Not very few, very few, but I have. Amen? So don't think no one can backslide, or you won't. We have to make a decision. I'm going to stay on fire. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to be in church. I'm not going to miss church. Thank you for those three amens. So we can either backslide all the way into Egypt, or we can backslide to live in the wilderness. God wants us to live in heaven's blessings while we are on the earth. He doesn't want us to live in the desert, in the wilderness. So let's speak boldly to our problems continuously. Let's meditate in the Word of God to build our faith. We must stand together. We must move forward together like the children of Israel went together into the promised land. Always remember 
We are not claiming something from God. We are claiming something on behalf of God, standing in God's place on His behalf, claiming things line up with God's will. We are claiming on God's behalf, standing in His place, claiming His promises that He has told us to possess. So this, I'm claiming God's promises that He has told me to possess. There's an all-out war in the spirit world. Satan is desperately wanting to bring the human race into slavery and put his 666 mark on everybody to snatch us away from God. That's what he wants to do. And you've seen him try and take away our freedoms all over the world, even now. It's the spirit of Antichrist trying to bring his control. And every time we win a soul, we are advancing the kingdom of Christ and causing Satan's kingdom to retreat. So that every time I win a soul, I am advancing Christ's kingdom and causing Satan's kingdom to retreat. We know that Revelation 13 talks about the 6-6 mark. We know eventually it will come to pass. But the devil has tried in Nebuchadnezzar's time to bring about the one world government. He tried in the Roman Empire to bring about the one world government. Daniel stopped him in Nebuchadnezzar's time. The church prayed in Romans' time. And the church prayed with Hitler's time. And every time he's been stopped, there's too many unsaved people on this planet to let the devil put the mark of the beast on them. We're not going to let him do that. We're going to stop the devil, take back what Satan's stolen, claim our inheritance by faith in grace. The church is rising up. I believe the time has come for the Holy Ghost to be poured out on the earth like the waters cover the sea upon all flesh. And I believe you walk into a gas station or a petrol station and you'll see demons come out because they walk because you walk close to those people. And you'll see people get healed and people cry to Jesus for salvation when you walk down the street. The anointing of God is on you, and it's going to increase. Listen to me, Cape Town. Listen to me, please, San Antonio. The anointing is on you. It's going to increase in these last days. God is going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. The devil's tried his best. God is just getting started. I believe all the hungry and thirsty hearts are going to come to Jesus. We are commissioned to bring in the great harvest. And I'm so glad I'm living in the time where I will see the great harvest come in and God's family grow. We must use our faith, use our authority, and the power of praying in the Holy Ghost to push back the force of darkness and take back what Satan has stolen. And when problems come to you and your family, and they're going to come, Jesus said the storms of life will come to everybody. He said that. But he said, if you build your house on the rock, When the storms come, your house will not be shaken. If you build on the sand, when the storm comes, your house will be blown over. What is building your house on the rock? What is it? Jesus said, if you'll hear my word and do my word, you build your house on the rock. I know we sing Jesus is the solid rock, but that's not what he said. That's not what he said. It's a beautiful song. But he said, if you hear my word and do my word, you're building your life on the rock. But if you hear my word and don't do it, you're building your life on the sand. This is too many people know the word, but they're not putting it to practice. That's why they fail. And the word's not going to work until I speak it. So that the word cannot work until I speak it. Abraham is a perfect example of that. God showed him the stars in the sky and said, you're going to have that many children when he was 75 years old. 
And God said he's righteous because of his faith. He believed it. Now, 25 years later, he's 99 years old. Isaac is not born. And God is getting concerned because Christ must come to the earth. And Abraham's going to bring Christ to the earth. But he's not having Isaac. So God says to Abram, he says, Abram, I'm changing your name to Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations. Your name is Abram. I'm calling you father of many nations from now on. I'm changing your name. So he goes around and he says, my name is father of many nations. He tells everybody I'm father of many nations. He's confessing now, I'm the father of many nations. He said it for three months and Sarah fell pregnant. Now remember this, he was 99 years old. He couldn't have children with any woman at that age. And Sarah couldn't either. But God came to him. And God said to him, now, Abram, you believed me when I showed you the stars, but you didn't speak it. You didn't speak what I, what I said to you. Because if he'd said, yes, I'm going to have children, at 75, Isaac would have been born at 75. But he never said it. God had changed his name to make him say it. And then Isaac was born. Three months for his faith to work, and then Sarah fell pregnant, Isaac was born. Now you see, family, God has said a lot of wonderful things about you. But if you'll keep quiet for 25 years, you're going to have nothing. But if you start saying boldly, I am what God said I am, you'll become what God said you are. And you'll have what God said you'll have. Don't let this message be forgotten. Please, I beg you. So I say this, when problems come my way, I will protect my family. I will not accept it. I will speak to it. I will tell it, I don't accept you. I reject you. I resist you. In Jesus' name. You'll not hurt me or my family. Satan, in the name of Jesus. God is on my side. He fights my battles. In the name of Jesus, all is well. Praise God, praise God. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com